Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I'm still here somehow over a year on in the second wave of the pandemic as your co-host Ed Pocock and I'm joined as always by Zach. Zach how are you doing? I'm doing well Ed. Welcome back. It was a rough two episodes without you. I I really struggled. I really struggled Ed. Must have been so hard for you Zach. Must have been so hard. So difficult. but I'm so glad the therapy is going well for 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 that for that loss of, of me for two whole episodes. Yeah. Yes, I've requested my therapist just speak in a British accent, and they're not very good yet. But uh, they'll they'll get there. They'll get there. <laughs> That's okay. Americans on TV don't seem to get it either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. And today we are delighted to be joined by Stuart Green, who is here to talk about uh, actually one of my local game stores, The Ludiquist, and what they've been doing throughout lockdown to keep Keyforge alive, kicking, and indeed extremely healthy in the community. Hi, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Ed. And Zach, uh, thank you for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you and actually a really real pleasure to speak to you as well, because we used to see each other pretty much on a weekly basis, I think, up until up until the pandemic. And since then, I have not seen you once. And I think we've spoken once or twice. But um, yeah, so it's 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 good to have the the chance to catch up. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah, it's uh, it's been far too long. I mean, luckily, I have managed to see a few of my fellow key forgers in real life um in this the small window between first lockdown and what i guess we'd call second lockdown um but unfortunately you weren't one of them which is a shame so (laughs) it's great to speak to you but I think there's going to be a lot of brilliant Keyforge reunions when when new normal resumes. But until then, listeners, hopefully you can live through, uh, live vicariously through the excitement that Stuart and I have to, uh, <laughs> to speak to each other on this episode. As our listeners will know, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better before diving into our main topic. So, Stuart, I believe you have a rich, long card-playing history with... Uh, the card game that shall not be named, but do tell us a bit more about that. You know, how, how did you get into card games to begin with? And then how did you discover Keyforge? Right. Well, I've always been, um, a natural geek. So I've always been attracted to stuff like card games and ball games and things like that. And when I was at university, I saw an advert in a magazine for a game called portal, which was a kind of entry uh, level game for the Magic the Gathering. So I started playing Portal and then Portal led on to Magic the Gathering proper and there was a board games club at university and I started playing Magic the Gathering there. Uh, I met one of my lifelong friends through Magic uh, which kind of cemented the fact that you can meet wonderful people through playing card games which is, you know, if nothing else a great reason to play card games. Um, and yeah, so I started playing Magic the Gathering, which is obviously Richard Garfield's first card game. And I played probably for about uh, maybe 10 years, uh, culminating in running my Magic the Gathering club, um, playing on a Tuesday weekly. Uh, but eventually I got tired of what's known in Magic as Manuscrew, which is where you either 
Well, basically, the mana screw is when you don't draw any land or not enough land, which is the resources you need to play cards and magic. Or the other side of mana screw is mana flood, when you just draw land and don't draw anything to play with the land. Uh, and so eventually, I just tired of magic and I gave up. Um, and the reason I mention that is because I then, sort of years later, discovered a meetup group for playing board games at a local, local friendly game store, The Ludicrist. And I went down there and I started playing board games and got chatting to the co-owner, Nick Smith. And he said, oh, have you heard about this new game called Keyforge? And I had heard of it because of the controversy with the naming algorithm, whereby the naming algorithm was generating names that were deemed inappropriate. And that was causing some sort of viral marketing for this game anyway so nick suggested we play and i had a go he mentioned it was a richard garfield game and that obviously piqued my interest a bit and one of the things i find so attractive about keyforge is that unlike magic you don't have resources in the same sense and you can pretty much guarantee in any given turn unless someone's played a particular card um you can play at least two of your cards so it felt like a kind of game where I wasn't going to have to worry about resources sort of ruining the game. And also one of the advantages of it was that you didn't have to build your own deck. The deck came pre-built for you. And having played a lot of Sealed in Magic, one of the things you always thought of afterwards was like, did I build the best deck I could? Did I put in enough land? All these sort of things. And all that sort of disappears with Keyforge. You don't have to worry about that. So that was... And this is really interesting because I think this is a hurdle for a lot of Magic players, right? The idea that, oh gosh, I don't get to actually build my own deck and and the fear that in, that might mean that for Keyforge, you don't have that freedom of choice, that freedom to basically have your have your own deck. So, so why wasn't that a hurdle for you, Stuart? Or, or was it a hurdle? Um... It, it was certainly something I, I gave a lot of thought to. Uh, but I, I felt that one of the problems with magic, uh, it basically goes back to this resource issue, was that it was always difficult to know, did you put in enough land? And that's why, you know, and it was just that you got bad draws and you got unlucky and that's why you got mana screwed. Or was it you didn't put in enough land and that was your bad deck design? that was actually ruining your game. So the idea of having a, a deck that was, it's done for you, you don't have to make these decisions, it did appeal to me. Uh, but yes, I was also concerned that if you got a dud deck, you pretty much lost £10 or whatever you spent on the deck. But that's just, you know, one of the things, and nothing in life is perfect. You know, there's always going to be compromise and balance. And Keyforce just appeals to me from the point of view that I know whatever happens, it's not my fault. I built a bad deck and it's not my fault i didn't put enough land in so if mm. the deck doesn't work i can blame the deck uh but of course on the flip side if the deck does work you can't say oh, i designed this it's all down to me so but yeah that just kind of works <laughs> there's some luck in the game i guess and you can blame that <laughs> yeah well that, that's the thing i i have this discussion with a lot of people um i think it's very important to recognize the luck element in keyforge um and i, I feel like if i ever have a game where I feel like I've got extremely lucky and my opponent got extremely unlucky, I will just say, sorry, that's just, you know, I got lucky. I do apologize. And I, you know, but I won't on the flip side, blame my opponent's win on luck. Yes. So I'll just go, well played. You did a great, you played that brilliantly. Uh, and, you know, secretly mutter to myself, perhaps, you know, damn that luck. But I wouldn't say it to my opponent because I think that's, that's rude uh, to not yeah. acknowledge their skill level. Oh, certainly, certainly a good principle there to only assign a win of luck to yourself and not and not to your opponent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think your overview of what you found to enjoy about KeyForge was a great description of the two paradigms that KeyForge changed at once. There was both the unique deck paradigm where the deck list is is locked in and unique from everything else then the paradigm of uh there's not a resource cost it is in the way the resource cost has been converted into a different kind of restriction the you know the the faction or the house the the house alignment and only being able to do one of those one of those per turn so i, I think that's some of the beauty of keyforge that um keyforge was able to be more than just a 
initial footnote that was like, oh, and this is where the paradigm shifted with this little game that did it this way and somebody copied it later. It's because Richard Garfield and team were able to pull off both of those at once, moving away from moving away from paying with resources and moving away from deck construction all in one fell swoop, which is which is a pretty big, pretty big task when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> to no, write all that in one. I, I think it takes someone like Richard Garfield to be able to do that sort of thing. I mean, obviously his history sort of pretty much being the grandfather of of uh, collectible card games with Magic the Gathering. I think it, it needed someone with that kind of uh, heritage and legacy behind them to sort of be able to say, look, we can do this and it will work. And I think one of the things, you know, that people might complain about Keyforge not being able to construct their own decks, but the problem with Magic seemed to be towards when I left it was that it was very much with the advent of the internet and people being able to net deck um, so easily, you ended up in a situation where you pretty much ended up playing very similar decks all the time because people would print mm-hmm. on their debt list on uh, on the internet and everyone would copy it. And that, from a player like me, it was handy because I knew that whoever had designed this deck had almost certainly worked out the land balance perfectly. So if I did get manuscript, that was just down to a bad shuffle rather than bad deck design. But it also took away some of the excitement of coming up with your own combinations and designing your own decks. Yeah, that's that's very true. And the unfortunate, well, fortunate slash unfortunate thing is that most of those situations where decks, uh, there's a meta where where decks are kind of rain like that, is that the the that set that set of cards, how whatever format you're playing in, is almost solved. Like it's there's a small chance that there could be an answer out there or a different archetype that's going to do really well that somebody just hasn't found yet. But with how big magic is and how many very, very intelligent people who dedicate their full time to like testing these decks, you know, it's more than likely the list you find on online is going to, is going to be, is going to be the, uh, you know, what's good and what would be worth your time as far as trying to get a win in. Pretty, pretty much the optimal deck is designed because, as you say, there are people that, for whatever reason, have the time and resources, um, you know, whether it be literally not having to go to work because they're so rich they don't have to work or they're students so they've got more free time or whatever. Um, and also they have the teammates to test these decks mm-hmm. and they're, they're willing to put in that time. And I think I was always very much a casual key for, sorry, casual magic player. And I wasn't willing to dedicate, you know, pretty much 24 seven of my spare time to building a deck and testing it with friends. I just wanted to come up with a deck idea that I thought might be interesting and play it at my local scene where it wasn't as competitive. And I wasn't going to face these decks that have been play tested for like a hundred hours against 200 different deck types. Mm-hmm. Yes, Keyforge, the game for people with employment and or families. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a marketing strap line right, right. there. <laughs> Although I, I probably, I probably can't stand up. Uh, I probably can't stand up to that with a, a to a diss as uh, against Magic the Gathering, having not played it much. So uh, I do. I just you do. To tread carefully there. <laughs> I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me as well if there are people in Keyforge that put in the same kind of time and effort. Hmm. Um, oh sure, sure. You know, obviously, the difference with Keyforge is they have to try and spot a deck and then test that deck and see if that deck does what they expect it to do. Whereas oh, in yeah. Magic, obviously, you've essentially got a near enough infinite um, pool of cards in which to combine to make a deck. So Keyforge is a bit more like this deck either works or it doesn't. You might discover you might you know discover something about it that other people haven't noticed, and you might make it work but obviously you can't change what's in there. So if there aren't any tools to build an engine out of, it's not going to work no matter how good you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, Zach, you've just given Magic the Gathering the ultimate diss by saying diss, the (laughs) ultimate diss, lol. Uh, By by saying, if you've got a life, play Keyforge. (laughs) I I would like to put on the record here that I did not sign off on that rephrasing of my very tactful wording, Mr. Pocock. I mean, I guess if you watch The Walking Dead, you might want to play Magic, but that's 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 something for another conversation. (laughs) That's a low blow. That's a low blow. Okay, If if Keyforge lives long enough, we will We'll have that moment. It might be decades away. 
after 20 years of this podcast and we've retired on our pile of Patreon dollars, but no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I know, um, that's the thing. I, I've got to say, Magic, the fact that it's still going this long, it, it, you know, when I played it and I, I stopped playing it, I was like, well, I hope it carries on, but I obviously have no sort of expectation of how long it will be, continue to be successful for because ultimately, at one stage, I would like to set up my collection. Um, so the fact that it's still going and it's still a viable option to sell my collection is uh, very pleasing for me personally. Um, but I just think it's testament to the game and the designers that they've managed to keep people interested for what are we, 25, 30 years on? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Their work, their work with formats, I think, their work with formats and marketing and a number of other things have been very smart and very and very successful. Yeah. They've had a lot of really good brains behind that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Because when, when I was playing it, I was like, what are they going to come up with next? And they, they still do. This is the thing, 20 years later. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't played for a very long time, and I worry that if I ever did try and play, I'd find the rule changes and stuff quite difficult to comprehend because they have now planeswalkers and things like this which they didn't have when i played um and there's you know additional formats that didn't exist when i played so i worried i mean not that i'm ever going to go back to it because you know i I can't afford to support two card habits um and uh, my my heart is firmly in the Keyforge camp nowadays. So. Mm, mm. And, and we've learned how you got interested in Keyforge and started playing Keyforge, but it's now two years on from that. So so what's really made you stick with it? Hmm. I think ultimately it's the community. Um, you know, I've made so many wonderful friends, yourself included, Ed, and I'd, I'd like to say you as well, Zach, you know, I, although we've established we haven't met in person, I don't feel that's a barrier to being friends with someone. <laughs> certainly. Um, so, it certainly isn't anymore. Unfortunately. No, no, <laughs> um, and I'll be honest, Keyforge has been a massive help, certainly during the lockdown period, um, in terms of allowing me contact to people, staying in touch with people, and, and making new friends, actually. So... Um, when lockdown kicked in, a lot of stores, like the Ludacrist, came up with the idea of running tournaments online. And I pretty much play in all of them. Um, to the point at the height of lockdown, I was playing in seven tournaments over six days a week. So I, I just to, to explain the maths, I was doubling up on Wednesdays. I was playing two tournaments a night on Wednesdays. Wow. Blimey. Goodness. Uh, um, so yeah, I you know it gave me the opportunity to make new friends, um, and just sort of have a bit of human contact, which is nice because you know yeah. you can go mad yeah. if you if you don't get to talk to people. So it's nice to sort of, um, and I, I, I kind of laugh at that, but I mean it's a serious issue. You know, there is sadly yeah. a, a mental health uh, consequence to people not being able to contact other people, not being able to communicate with people. So I think it's. The fact that Keyforge, in things like the internet allowing us to talk like we are right now, yeah. um, has has made lockdown a lot more bearable than I think it would have been sort of 30 years ago. Mm. You know? Like-minded people as well. And then you've got that bedrock there un- underneath it of a shared experience. Yes. You know, if you if you meet in the pub, you have a drink together. But if you, if you play a game of Keyforge, you're having an experience together and... I think that, that there's something there's something in that that there really isn't in in some of those other activities. So it's it's amazing to still be able to do that remotely. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, as you say, it gives you a common ground to discuss stuff on. You know, mm-hmm. you may not share ideas or you know views on a lot of subjects, but you do share a love of this game, um, and you can talk about the different cards and the games you've had, and it, it gives you a starting point, and then obviously you can build a friendship from that. So yeah, it's it's been wonderful from that point of view, and that's I think that as I say, you know, uh, I mentioned Krakow earlier. We we went to it, didn't we? We were both at Krakow yeah, together, yeah. and I went to Madrid, and I have made some friendships through these Keyforge events that I just hope will last me for the rest of my life because these people are so awesome, um, and it's Keyforge that that brought us together, but it's our friendship that's kept us together. If that makes sense. So. 
which is the you know all the value that a game could ever ask to be yeah. <laughs> and more i think but but uh, i mean on this uh, you have both been called with me present the nicest guy in keyforge so very kind of you. i mean from, from where i'm sitting from where i'm sitting there can only be one truly nicest guy in keyforge so zach uh stewart how do you think we can find a way to really settle the score here of which one well, of you is indeed well, the I, nicest I, I guy think in it's going to be that because you know i i think if you're going to be the nicest person in keyforge you surely can't take the title for yourself I'm not sure, Stuart, because I think I think you're playing into Ed's sinister plan here, which is to think that there is a necessity to pit two people who may have been casually handed this title against each other. So I really I really think the uh, the issue here is Ed, not a I, I not any relative niceness between you and I. I, I mean, it's not Highlander. There doesn't have to be only one. So yeah, no, and you know we could we could quite easily argue that Zach is the nicest American Keyforge player, and I'm the nicest UK Keyforge player, and there doesn't have to be a, a single title. So I think I mean I think that's the thing. To me, it's more important to lose a game and keep a friend than to win a game and lose a friend. That's my philosophy competitively. Yeah. I try to make so many friends and just lose. I just, that's my, that's <laughs> yeah, my whenever reasoning. Whenever I've lost, it's, it's purely an attempt at friendship. It's, it's not because I've had a terrible game of Keyforge and right, I couldn't right. work out how to play the game. So, yeah. yes, for, for, fortunately, I don't think many friendships have been uh, on the line for me with the, the win or loss of a game. But, uh, but yes, as far as priorities go, I would rather... I would rather uh, bolster a friendship than than get a win if yeah. if those two things are exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is this is truly beautiful, and and, uh, and guys, thank you for being good sports. I think we know by me asking that question why. Indeed, I am not the nicest guy in Keyforge. Um, well, the competition yeah. is so fierce with Zach. You see, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when when you're as competitive as I am at this game, you know how can you be nice? That's the thing I have seen. You know, there is a dark side to Keyforge, sadly, but I think there's a dark side to any game. And I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> we would be fooling ourselves if we acted like Keyforge players are perfect and no one cheats and no one gets upset. But I think in the main, the majority of Keyforge players share uh, our philosophy that this is a game to have fun and mm -hmm. to be friendly, you know, and uh, yeah. Some you know people get frustrated when they lose. Sometimes you know the thing is if you've uh, if you've had a bad day of Keyforge and you've lost every game, by the time you lose your tenth game, I, I can understand people being more frustrated than perhaps when they lose their first game. Mm -hmm. Well, you had that issue in Krakow, didn't you, Stuart? I mean, you're, you're normally a, someone that is extremely competitive at Keyforge in terms of not your <laughs> extremely competitive, but you win a lot. And in Krakow, you had a, a bad run of games, I believe. I, I hope that's okay me yeah, saying, but oh, yeah. I think you dealt with it really well. You were quite open that you were on tilt, yes. you know, that, that you, you were feeling bad about it. And because you sort of shared that, it was like, okay, everyone was then able to you know be supportive yes. and <laughs> let's go outside and get a drink or something yes yeah I, I think it was the the archon day of keyforge and yeah just mm. nothing worked everything you know there was a lot of games that were close but i just couldn't quite get over the line and it, it was very frustrating um and i hope i made it clear to anyone that saw me not being <laughs> as jolly as i normally am that I wasn't upset with anyone. I was just having a bad Keyforce day, and that happens. Um, and I was trying to process it as best I could. Oh, yeah, um, of course. That, that's the thing. This is a game with an element of luck. And, you know, like in Magic, while you don't get mana screwed in the same way, you can end up just keep drawing two cards at a time. And your opponent can be playing five cards at a time. And that will just, over time, give them such a huge advantage. You just can't win. And you kind of feel like, well, I made the best decisions I could with what I had, but I just didn't get good draws. And it happens, you know, but you also have to, as I said earlier, not say that to your opponent because that's disrespectful, but you can appreciate it in your own mind and go, well, some days this happens. I think the expression I use is some days you're the statue, some days you're the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I think yeah, you, have to, you have to go into Keyforge knowing that. You, you know, I think people probably get frustrated when they don't win all the time 
but they have to accept that you're going to probably lose on average half the time because there's always a winner and loser keepers. There's no draws. So you can't not win or lose. So half of all Keyforge players in any tournament are going to lose. That's very true. That's very true. And uh, we just had two episodes ago, uh, Asher Knopp on the podcast, another uh, another uh, American. And uh, he talked about the atti- his attitude he's developed for going into competitive play. The first, the first major tournament he attended, he went 0-6 and stuck in it the whole time. Um, and then kind of keeping a similar attitude of just going to uh, have fun, uh, met with some competitive success later. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, which is also the reason having fun is also the reason I commentate because there's a 100% chance I have fun if I commentate <laughs> and uh, maybe a 75 to 80% chance I have fun if I play. So uh, uh, play <laughs> you cannot lose. <laughs> yeah. you're, 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 you're famous amongst the community, certainly from my point of view, um, in terms of people wanting to see someone commentate, it's usually you. Oh well, thank you very much. That uh, that means a lot. Uh, I will I will say it's mostly been the uh, an opportunity provided by the pandemic, being able to commentate online more than I was able to in person. But uh, one, once things are back in person, I think I will be trying to be equipped to do that out and about more. Um, I just love telling those stories. But yeah, well, anyways. yeah, you tell them so well, and you eat popcorn beautifully, by the way. <laughs> I forgot to have popcorn at the last one I went to, uh, and the second game had a huge popcorn movement from Ukti of the uh, French Keyforge Association, and I was regretting not having it. It was uh, it was awfully dramatic. It was awfully dramatic. This is a travesty of the highest order. <laughs> a lapse in your normal professionalism. Oh yes, yes. We all, we all have them. You know, none of us are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Always be prepared, Zach. Seriously. Popcorn on standby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuart, for those who are on the far corners of the earth who haven't heard of our local game store in South London, Croydon, the Ludoquist, um, what is the Ludoquist? Why is it special? And just how much of an impact do you think that it has on its local community? Well, the Ludoquist is a the very definition in my opinion of the friendly local game store um it's a board game cafe slash restaurant where people go to meet friends and play board games and eat fantastic food and drink wonderful drinks uh it's found it was founded by nick smith and carrie smith who are the co-owners and it is a huge part, in my opinion, of the Croydon heart. It, it just, you know, it's a massive part of the community. They do so much for the community in terms of um, bringing people together and providing them with a safe, friendly family space to play in. And it, you know, I just absolutely adore both the place and the people that run it and staff it. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to have to echo that. I think it is the poster child of what a a good local game store looks like. In in that it's light, it's airy, it's inclusive, it's welcoming. Um, the I mean that the everyone everyone in there's nice, and the the game selection is amazing. But you you said it as well. The food, oh my goodness, the food is so so hearty, satisfying, uh, and yet you don't feel too guilty after you've you've eaten it because it's actually quite healthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they have vegan and vegetarian options. Um, you know, they have non-alcoholic drinks. And in, when I say non-alcoholic drinks, I mean non-alcoholic beer and wine drinks, um, but also soft drinks as well. You know, so they, they cater for everyone. And I don't, you know, as you say, I think one of the big important things about it is it's a big, light, open space with huge windows so it just feels yeah. welcoming because you have some game stores, and I'm not criticizing them, but they're in basements or they're tucked away in industrial estates. And I think, you know, as much as the uh, establishment will make it look as friendly as they can, they're obviously restricted by the physical location in some respects. Yeah. And the Ludicrous has yeah. such an open, you know, we'll say with the amount of natural light it gets with the windows and everything, it just, it couldn't look more appealing if it tried. And I'm sure it's tried its best to look as appealing as it can. Absolutely. And 
I think I think that's reflected, you know, that success is reflected in you walk in the ludicrous and it's always busy. Whether you go in at 11 p.m. and there's people playing some games and, and drinking. Well, 10, 10 or, now. After 10 o'clock, 10, be, of course, yeah, you yeah. have to, yeah, but you're have right, yeah, yeah pretty, basically <laughs> until close. Um, or whether yeah. you go in the morning and people are having people are having coffee in there and they're playing a few games and you have families, you have uh, groups of friends and the gender split is roughly 50-50, which says to me, for those other sort of <laughs> backroom basement LGSs, there's no need for it to be <laughs> full, of, <laughs> full of men. Right. Yeah, it, you, it, it can. It, I mean, games appeal to everyone. Yes. And uh, I think the ludicrous does a great job of appealing to everyone. Yes, so, I completely um, And it also has, it has different seating options. So if you're a parent with a child, you can sit on the couch. Um, but if you're, you know, sort of a hardcore gamer, you can sit on one of the higher tables, you know, so there are different places for different people. And there's like a little reading nook. Uh, yeah. And when, when lockdown first kicked in, um, Nick and Carrie made the very brave, in my opinion, decision to shut the Ludacrist before the government told them to, because they were, they, mm. this is how much they care about the community. They decided there was a health and safety risk of being open. Um, and when the restrictions lifted, they very gradually reopened. They had a one-way system. They did take out coffee. So they managed to provide a service, even when they couldn't provide the service they were originally designed to to provide. Yeah. And just paint a picture for us, Stuart, because, you know, you're quite close to them and, and what they're doing there of, of of what that looked like for them this year, you know, the impact that's had and maybe how they've reinvented themselves multiple times from what I see throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I think, understandably, it's been a very difficult year for a lot of businesses. And the Ludacrist have done their utmost to put the community's health and safety and their staff's health and safety at the front of everything they've done. Uh, and they've gradually reopened as lockdown eased, and they had um, they've you know removed a lot of tables to create the relevant space required for different parties. And when you go in, they take your contact details and use hand sanitizer. And they've moved from I mean they used to provide a table service to an extent before lockdown, but obviously yeah. since lockdown that has become the only way to order. So people aren't getting up. Once you sat down, you can stay where you're sat and they will come to you and they will take your order and they will bring you your food and drink. So yeah, they, they've just done everything they can. And when lockdown was at its height, um, when you know they made the decision to shut the doors for that original period, they, Nick contacted a few of us regular gamers and said that he wanted to make sure that the community wasn't missing out just because they couldn't play at the Ludacrist. And so the virtual Ludacrist was created on Discord, which is a, mm. a communications tool. I'm sure most people have heard of but if you haven't, look into it because it's a great way of staying in touch with people online. And various channels were created so that people could carry on gaming with people they'd met at Ludacrist then they might not have any kind of contact details for because they just saw them at Ludacrist and never thought, oh, one day I might not be able to meet you at Ludacrist because there's going to be a horrific pandemic. Um, so the, the Discord gave everyone the opportunity to stay in touch with their friends and keep playing. So that's the thing about the Ludacrist. They, they weren't just like, oh, we only care about people coming into our store. They cared about their players. They cared about their customers to the point where they wanted to keep, provide them with a solution to keep on playing and staying in touch, even when essentially they would make nothing out of it. You know, they, they're not going to get any table fees. They're not going to get any food orders or drink orders. So, you know, to my mind, it was a purely altruistic thing to allow us as a community to keep on gaming. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that brings us right back to that conversation that we were talking about earlier about the, the mental health impact of this. And, you know, I certainly see local game stores like the Ludacris as being, you know, a heart of the community. And if that heart has gone through a difficult time, that can be really difficult for you know, the people that depend on that. So, so what an amazing thing that, that, that 
that carried on to to an extent. So I know that just before closing down, uh, Nick went across to to the US to Gamma, the um, the uh, the gaming manufacturers association. I don't even know what it stands for, but it's it's the the conference where everyone who's an LGS owner, everyone who's a, a publisher, everyone who's a distributor goes to, and and that's their their big annual conference, I believe. Yeah. And the Ludicrous won outstanding store design and outstanding store award there before having to close the following week, yeah. which um, which must have added insult to injury there. But yeah, I think that's kind of testament to 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 their their success and what, and what they're doing as a as an example a poster child let's say of, of of what things can look like there yeah definitely i think that it's pretty much the oscars as i understand of the gaming community isn't it you know winning an award there is pretty much as high as esteem as you can get isn't it mm. Mm. And, and 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 with what you just said there, with the virtual ludicrous and what they were doing, I believe they were renting out games and they'd sanitize them when when they came back, so that you know families could still play games. Yeah. You know, when everyone was at home at that sort of height of COVID in you know March, April, May, and they even set themselves up, I think, as a bottle shop where they were delivering. Um, beers from local breweries for the area so everything they were doing was still very much at the heart of the the community through that yeah. time which uh which is amazing yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's the thing i you know that nick and carrie clearly didn't create the ludicrous to retire as millionaires they they created the ludicrous in my opinion because they wanted to give something back to croydon and mm. to provide a a lovely place to go and, you know, as much as I love Croydon, it needs as many lovely places to go as it can get. So <laughs> I, I, I am very grateful mm. to Nick and Carrie for the friendships I have cultivated purely that I can literally pinpoint to the ludicrous. I can say, this is how I know this person. This is how this wonderful person has come into my life. And I am hopefully going to be friends with this person for the rest of my life. And it's because of the ludicrous. Yeah, and I, th- I think, yeah. you know, that's the thing, you know, I said about Keyforge, Keyforge has brought me, it's, you know, gained me friendships and the Ludacris has done the same thing. And it's, I think, you know, people can't truly appreciate how wonderful that feels until it's happened to them. Um, so, you mm. know, I think if anyone moves to a new town, my advice is if you're into gaming, find your local friendly game store, mm. find out, you know, obviously when things are back to normal. Um, find out when they have a games night and go along and you'll probably instantly make five new friends because that's you know how how friendly gaming is i think it's such a great way to make friends you know because you have that communication and also you can identify the people you might not want to be friends with because you can go that that person there they're a bit competitive <laughs> for me i won't play games with that person but this person here they will happily sacrifice their win to you know help someone else make a better play and they're the kind of person i want to hang out with so it's, it's a great sort of way of identifying people's personalities i think as well you know yeah so is somebody playing with a, a deck with four narps they're obviously there for friendship and not for winning so it's yeah <laughs> exactly. it's a good, a good way to find exactly. <laughs> unless the format's reversal <laughs> yeah. and then there's someone you don't want to know anymore <laughs> so yeah 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 i i've got to say i have both a physical picture of the ludicrous in my head now painted from both of you describing just how lovely even the physical space is and and I just love the the stories you were telling, Stuart, of the things these the co-owners of the Ludoquist were doing that really indicate that they care about the community. And for a board game store, you know, closing closing early, not an easy choice to make uh, as they close early for health and try to figure out how to reopen later. And then starting a Discord just so their people could stay connected, which certainly has like no direct impact on profits. That's um, especially in this day and age when people want a space to have friends at to meet friends at uh that's just going to motivate people to go there to buy the food to like okay like what can i budget this month and i just go spend it at the ludicrous i do that with my local game store because uh tyke's games here in athens because they are uh they are similarly um uh just in, in love with the community as well so yeah, definitely find your local game store. Help help them be great. And if they're like the Ludacrist, uh, if they're like the Ludacrist already, then then awesome. Get yeah. their food. <laughs> and, and and Stuart, you've played such a I think I I can say at this point a key role in 
in supporting them throughout this time. And of course, second to that, in keeping their Keyforge community alive, healthy, and actually stronger than ever. So tell us a little bit, how did you find yourself running online events with the Ludacrist? And and how did that work? So uh, there's a little bit of a backstory, if you, you indulge me on that one, which was... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, of course. I, I used to go down every other Tuesday to play key for in real life before lockdown and everything else happened. And it was becoming obvious that uh, Nick and Amy, who were the people that pretty much ran the Keyforge, were finding it a struggle to find the time because, ironically, the Ludicrous was so successful. They had so much going on. Uh, and I've, as I said before, I, I used to run a Magic the Gathering club. So I've had experience running card game clubs and i just said to nick look you know i'd be happy to help out running the key forwards so it takes a bit of the time and pressure off you and amy um if if that's something you'd be interested in and nick was like yeah that sounds fantastic you know your pat you know he said i'm trying to refer to myself by someone else saying it but yeah he said to me that i was very passionate and that he knew i would do a good job and all the rest of it so i started running the the weekly tournaments and then obviously as i said um lockdown or the pandemic occurred and before lockdown, Nick made the very difficult decision to shut the Ludacrist and he got in contact with a few of us. So there's other people, I, I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them, but I also want to make sure they don't think I'm not thinking of them. Um, uh, who ran different parts of things going on in Ludacrist and he just said, look, Stuart, um, I want to keep Keyforge alive. Is there any way we can do that? And I was already aware, because I play on it all the time, of the Crucible Online, which I just want to give a massive shout out to Stuart and the rest of the people that help get the, the Crucible Online going and keep it going. Um, so I knew there was a way of playing Keyforge remotely. I knew of Discord, and I just said, look, I'll tell you what, why don't we just run a weekly sealed event online? I can run it. You know, you send out the decks. I'll actually do all the, the TOing tournament organizing and we'll go from there and he was like yep that sounds fantastic please do and that's pretty much where it started so the first one we had was on the 24th of march which uh i believe is 29 weeks ago getting on for 30 weeks so as of next tuesday that will be our 30th online keyforge sealed event which I have run every single one of. Uh, <laughs> I'm quite amazed I've been able to do that. But yeah, um, so yeah, that was pretty much how it's done. And also, again, going back to what I was saying about how the Ludacrist aren't profit centralized, um, Nick was extremely generous and has been continuously in terms of the prizes given out. So we pay pretty much the price for a deck. We get sent our deck and we load it into TCO and we run the tournament or I run the tournament through challenge. Depending on how many players we get, depends on the amount of prizes we give out, but we've given out prizes to third or fourth place, uh, which I think is you know very impressive, especially given that the Ludacris don't actually charge essentially an entry fee to the tournament. It's, you're just paying pretty much the price of a deck and for that, pro and you get that deck. You can either have it posted to you, or you can collect it when the ludicrous is open. Um, but you get, you know, the opportunity to win some very nice prizes without having to actually pay any more than you would do if you just went into the store and brought a deck. And and Stuart, you've had people join the virtual events from from different countries as well, right? And from well, from people outside of London, and then from people from different countries in addition. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the advantage, obviously, of playing online is that you're not restricted geographically. Uh, I mean, a lot of people seem to feel that coming to Croydon is quite an effort, which I think is just a psychological barrier because I I travel <laughs> from Croydon to various other game stores, so I know the distance that, that I'm travelling to get to these ones, and therefore the, the opposite is the same for the people that would be coming from those game stores. Um, but yes, being online it means you can pretty much rock up to a tournament in your pyjamas. Uh, you don't have to do your hair or anything. Not that, you know, <laughs> I imagine many people care that much about their hair. But, you know, yeah, so it, it gives us the option to be international. And as you say, we've, we've got players all over the country that join us and also internationally. Uh, we have players from Israel. Uh, we've had people from Belgium. So, you know, we've had people from all over. And 
you know, they obviously don't have to worry about getting their decks until a later date. So they can sort of build up their collection of prizes and decks and then get posted it in one go, which makes life a lot easier because the Ludicrous are very flexible about putting people's decks to one side until they're ready to get them. Uh, and again, you know, like I said earlier, I've, I've made new friends from people from other uh, regions around the country and internationally joining us to play Keyforge. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're keeping the same spirit that there would be if there was an in-person event for those as well with a kind of voice chat and everyone getting stuck in. Uh, and I, I think that's that's amazing. It really is the virtual ludicrous. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the Discord, uh, like, you know, we're talking right now, obviously we're not using Discord, but the fact that you can sort of communicate via Discord, what I've done, like a lot of um, people that have, are running tournaments online, is I've got a generic speaking room where everybody can be between games and then if they want to they can move off into a table room just for them and their opponents so you're you know mm. i mean we could set up webcams if we wanted to go that far but i don't think anyone cares so much about the visual aspect <laughs> of, of stuff but yeah you can you can chat to your opponent as if you were playing in real life you can go that was a yeah. good play well done oh i made a mistake there you know so yeah i, I mean the crucible online has been an absolute lifesaver for Keyforge. Um, and I think it's, you know, going back to the mental health thing, it, it's allowed a lot of people a very important lifeline into communicating with friends when they're playing a game they love. Nonetheless, there's a lot of local game stores that, you know, were running events on a weekly basis or in some cases even more than on a weekly basis before the pandemic that are now sadly not running events anymore or... Yeah, are relying on people to come in in person for for those events. So, what you've done with the virtual Ludicrous has been successful for the the Keyforge community that that depend on it. It's been that that outlet, uh, but it's also been successful for the Ludicrous. I imagine, yeah, that they've got that 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 revenue that they had before still coming yes. in. So, Stuart, what do you think others can do who are maybe thinking, oh? Well, if this is possible for this local game store, it might be possible for mine. How can others maybe emulate that success? Well, I mean, it's funny you should mention that. Um, one of the things that came up was that there was another local friendly game store that wanted to run a Keyforge event on a Tuesday. And I got in touch with them and said, well, I'd, I'd obviously like to play because I'd like to play in Keyforge events. Um and I said, you know, there is one thing, though. I will also be running my own Keyforge event at the same time. And they were like, oh, oh I mean, we can move. We, we can play on a Monday instead. That's fine with us. And I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And that's again, is sort of the heart of the community, that everyone's avoiding stepping on else's toes. So pretty much um, people are finding days of the week where there wasn't a tournament going on and picking that day of the week to do it. And to be honest... You know, I'm not trying to put myself down, but it's really not that much of a challenge to run a Keyforge event. You know, the, the players are usually very friendly. Um, there are so many online tools that allow you to do the pairings and stuff. So the one I personally use is Challenge, um, but uh, there are other ones like uh, there's Battlefy and Tabletop something or other I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head sorry the name but um so there, there are plenty of tools online and i am more than happy to help out um to the point where i have run tournaments for three other tournament organizers of keyforge um during lockdown and i'm looking at running a fourth one um so yeah if anyone's out there listening and they want some help or advice feel free to get in touch with me sort of via Facebook or through Ed and Zach, and I will happily help you set up and get running. And if I have the free time, I'll even run the thing for you. But, you know, so it, it honestly couldn't be any easier than it is. It's really not that difficult. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Ed and I, and it was uh, lovely to meet you, even if it is uh, even if it is uh, across a distant ocean via the internet, uh, much much the same as I have only met Ed. So thank you so much for coming on today. 
Thank you for having me on. Yeah, our, our pleasure to have you. And it was great to hear about uh, the Ludoquist, your role with them, how they operate, and uh, really just what a lovely model of a friendly local game store that they can be really embracing, uh, especially the friendly there and, and caring for the community. We, we really like to see that as the community is certainly one of the things we get excited about here at Call of Discovery. So if you, dear listener, are enjoying Call of Discovery and are willing and able to support us monetarily, our Patreon is linked below, where if you contribute at a certain level, you can put your own weird and wonderful deck in the spotlight and have a say in our future through a Patreon-only Discord available at any level. Either way, you can email us any thoughts or questions you have about the show at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. That's podcast at callofdiscovery.com. Of course, please subscribe on wherever you're listening and leave a review on your regular podcast app. If it is a particularly flowery and over-the-top review like Shap Station had uh, a month or two ago, please uh, please hit us up with that. Uh, let's Shoot us an email to let us know you've left it and we will read it out loud here on the show. You can, of course, find us on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this show, please help them to discover it. But listener, I have one last question before we go today. Have you answered the call of discovery? I've, I've been there in person. In fact, I've even been to Europe in person. So, um, <laughs> the fact that I'm, back, I'm there right now. <laughs> no, it's less of a breakup and more of a, just my respect for, for Ed's witty game growing. It's, uh, his, uh, his, his jokes are usually what we call here in America knee slappers, and that was a, a true blue witticism. So, wow, okay. High praise indeed.